Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Mean Old Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. Welcome to October, moms and dads, and soon to be moms and dads. The year is just skipping on by. So go ahead, start making your Christmas list now. The end of the year will be here before you know it. Now, when I was younger, time used to go by super slow, right? And now that I'm older, time is flying by. So we must make sure to enjoy these moments and the time we have while we still have breath in our bodies. Like the like the church folks say, why you have breath in your body? Well, speaking of breath. So today we're going to chat about something that is essential to pregnancy. or really essential to maintain life. And that is breathing. So you got to be able to breathe to make it, y'all. If you're not breathing. You're not alive. So one big condition that can hinder breathing in and out of pregnancy is asthma. Everyone thinks asthma is really not that big of a deal. Okay, Even OBGYNs blow it off sometimes, but we need not do that. Before we tackle anything else, we have to make sure you can breathe. Now, asthma is an obstructive lung disease in that it causes the airway or your windpipe or your larynx and bronchi and alveoli, if you want to get technical, those are your windpipes. Those are the things that give you gas and oxygen exchange. It causes your lungs to become inflamed and swollen, making it difficult to breathe, especially specifically to exhale. It can also have a restrictive pattern and that once the airway starts to swell, you can also have difficulty inhaling or getting air in. Now, asthmatic patients on average have a 15 to 20% increased risk of complications in pregnancy. And that includes preeclampsia, which is when you have high blood pressure and vascular damage. We look for this vascular damage as protein in your urine. Pre means before. Eclampsia is when you have a seizure in pregnancy because of hormones secreted from the placenta that's causing you to have high blood pressure and other in-organ damage like kidney issues and liver issues and bleeding issues. You also have an increased risk of preterm delivery. People that are asthmatic have increased risk of having smaller babies and even not surviving the pregnancy in general compared to people that don't have asthma. And if you have somebody that has severe asthma, you have a 30 to 100% increased risk of any of those things happening during the pregnancy. Now, asthma may improve, it may worsen, or remain unchanged in severity during the pregnancy. So pregnancy in itself, theoretically, on average, does not worsen asthma. But 
it's best to make sure that your asthma is controlled before you get pregnant to decrease your chances of continuous frequent asthma attacks during the pregnancy. So if you have chronic inflammation and you know you have asthma attacks every two weeks, you're going to have the same asthma attacks every two weeks. It's best to find a regimen that controls your asthma so that you can get safely through the pregnancy and we don't have to keep on switching things up. Because as you move through the pregnancy, even if you don't get an asthma attack, it is harder to take a deep breath. Why? Because the uterus is right underneath your diaphragm. Okay. And so you can't inhale as much as you used to could inhale when you weren't pregnant. Okay. Now, asthma is graded based on severity. So, you know, how I said, oh, if you have mild asthma, if you have severe asthma, if you have this, you'd have that. Well, how do you know what type of asthma you have? So we base asthma classification based on the severity of symptoms, whether you have nighttime awakening, whether a short acting beta agonist, which means that a dilator or bronchodilator um, is used to control your symptoms and it works and whether you can have normal daily activity. So that's how we judge or classify asthma. So if you have intermittent asthma, that means ah, I just got a touch of it. Not too bad. That means you have symptoms less than two days a week. You have nighttime awakening, meaning you wake up with shortness of breath less than two times a month. And you use your inhaler less than two days a week because you only have symptoms less than two days a week. And you can do normal day-to-day activity without any interference. If you have mild, persistent asthma, then you have symptoms greater than two days a week, but not daily. You have nighttime awakening, meaning you wake up at night short of breath three to four times a month. And you're using your short time beta agonist, so your albuterol inhaler, your immediate release inhaler, greater than two days a week, but not daily and not more often than one time any day. So it's not like you're using your inhaler every four hours. Okay. And you do most of their daily activities without with, with normal, uh, normal day-to-day function with very minimal limitations. Okay. You don't really get short of breath doing the normal activity. If you have moderate persistent asthma, you have symptoms every day. You wake up short of breath at night more than one time a week, but not nightly. You use your inhaler daily and you have some limitations, meaning if you get winded, you got to take a puff of your albuterol. Okay. That's moderate persistent. Severe means you short of breath all day. If you walk up a flight of stairs, you might have to use your inhaler, okay? You wake up at night often, seven times a week. Every night you wake up, you're short of breath. You got to take a breathing treatment. You got to have an inhaler. You can't go without your breathing treatment every day. And you use that short-acting inhaler several times a day. And interfere with your daily activities? Yeah, it does, extremely. You got to use your inhaler when you're walking around too much. So that's how we can tell what type of asthma you have. And then once we get those, hey, these are your symptoms that you're describing, then we do what's called pulmonary function test to see what is your percent predicted, okay? So normal people, the amount of air they breathe in shouldn't be constricted at all, okay? But once you start getting constriction, 
that is 90%, then we know you have some asthma. Okay. You're intermittent. If you have 80% of what you can inhale, you've inhaled fine. But once you get down to, hey, there's about 60% forced expiratory volume is what we call it. It's a little over half. Then we know you have moderate persistent asthma. Okay, so we confirm your symptoms with pulmonary function tests. Okay, that's all you need to know. You don't need to remember the numbers, but we confirm your symptoms with pulmonary function testing. So if you have asthma, you should always have pulmonary function testing. And you should be doing daily peak flows in pregnancy and getting up to 80% of what's predicted for your age. So a peak flow meter, you're going to inhale, inhale, and the volume inhaled will tell us, okay, Based on your age, this is the number you're supposed to inhale. You should be getting at least 80% of that volume. If you're not, you're not controlled, okay? So in pregnancy, we want you to do daily peak flow meters, daily peak flow measures. So we can see when to add a medicine before you get worse, okay? Now, when we talk about medicine and treatment for asthma, all of this is about decreasing inflammation, which will then decrease the swelling, which would then help keep your airway dilated, okay? So that's why we use bronchodilators to help with the airway. Now, albuterol is recommended as a short-acting agonist of choice. So that's the short-acting inhaler. When you hear when people, when they run up the stairs and they're winded, <gasps> what do they do? They take a puff of the inhaler, okay? When they say they do that puff of the inhaler, that's albuterol. You remember watching Hitch and the guy that wanted to date Alexa, Electra, the uh, heiress, you know, he ran up the, st the stairs and, you know, he wanted to, he was getting nervous and he wanted to show her that he was going to stand up for her. So he was having an asthma attack. And what did he do? He chunked his inhaler, right? That was an albuterol inhaler, the short acting one. So that's the recommended short acting inhaler of choice. Now for patients with mild persistent or more severe asthma, some people may need inhaled steroids, okay? Like glucocorticoids or Advair um, would be the first drug that comes to mind. That reduces the exacerbation during pregnancy and cessation of inhaled steroids during pregnancy may increase the risk of exacerbations of asthma. So if you were on steroids before pregnancy, unless somebody told you to taper them off, you should continue those steroids because what we don't want you to do is get off the steroids and then all of a sudden you're short of breath and you can't breathe because you got to be able to breathe, y'all. Okay. Now, of course, steroids have their risk. Okay. But when we talk about the risk, we talk about the risk of not breathing versus the risk of the steroid. It's always more beneficial to breathe. Now, obviously, we'll try to put you on medicines that will attempt to control your asthma without putting you on steroids. But there's only so many bronchodilators out there, and you really should only be on one short-acting bronchodilator. So you shouldn't be on a flow vent and albuterol, this or that. No, you only need one of those, okay? We don't need two short-acting medicines. And you don't need to be using your inhaler several times a day. That means it's not doing its job. And if you're short of breath, guess what's happening? You're not able to get oxygen to your tissues. And the uterus is a big muscle. 
So if you're not getting oxygen to your uterus, that means the placenta or the baby's you know, supply is not also getting oxygen, which can cause the stress of your baby, can even cause the risk of miscarriage of your baby. So we have to weigh those options and weigh those risks when, it, when we talk about which medicine to put you on. Now, there are longer acting inhaled beta agonists. Okay, salmeterol or, or long acting agonists with salmeterol in it, that is the longer duration drug of choice in the United States. Okay, but some pulmonologists may prefer something like Singulair, which is also a longer acting medicine. So talk to your pulmonologist before you get pregnant to make sure you're on the safest drug possible. Now, chronic steroids and asthma itself can cause you have some increased risk of having a smaller baby, like I mentioned before. So usually with anybody that has moderate persistent or severe asthma, meaning you're having symptoms several times a week up to daily, and you're using your albuterol inhaler frequently, then you would need growth scans on this baby about once a month, every four to six weeks to make sure we know how small the baby is. Now, if the baby gets smaller, then that means that we would need to monitor you more frequently. Small babies have an increased risk of stillbirth. Go back and listen to the previous to the episode last season about small babies. Okay, so we want to make sure we're following the size of that baby frequently every month. And if the weight drops down, then you need to be followed every week if the baby's small. And then we have to individualize when exactly you need to be delivered to prevent anything bad from happening. Okay, but remember, if your asthma is controlled specifically at the beginning of the pregnancy and throughout, the likelihood of having a small baby as a result of asthma and poor oxygen status is slim to none, okay? Now, people that are asthmatic, like I say, you have moderate or severe asthma, then we will, even if the baby's not small, start monitoring the baby around 32 to 34 weeks just to make sure that we see all the signs of fetal well-being or all the signs that show us, hey, this baby's doing great. Those signs every week. We know that doing something called a biophysical profile, which is an ultrasound to look at breathing, movement, tone, and fluid around the baby, that is reassuring us that the baby has less than a one in 4,000 chance of stillbirth. And so we do that for all people that have any symptoms of asthma that persists uh, in pregnancy. All right, so now that you know a little bit more about asthma and pregnancy, Let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 31-year-old who is 26 weeks pregnant with her second child. She has mild persistent asthma requiring the use of her albuterol pump two to three times per week. She recently was admitted because she's had trouble with her chronic cough and difficulty breathing. She was tested for COVID-19 and the flu and tested negative. She was given a breathing treatment, which helped her symptoms, but she's still wheezing. The pulmonologist mentioned starting her on steroids, but she refused due to the side effects. You were consulted for assistance in management of asthma in pregnancy. Oh, this is such a typical consult for me. So I'm glad that you tested negative for COVID-19 and the flu. Very glad, actually, because people that get COVID-19 and the flu can get very sick because if you're already triggered and we already know that you are prone to having a lot of inflammation and swelling of your airway, 
Then you put a virus on top of that. And man, you really be having issues with breathing. I'm glad that you don't have that. Now, in terms of you, you got help with the breathing treatment. Great. You have mild persistent asthma, which means that you are on likely your albuterol inhaler plus something long acting like an Advair. So I would first want to add a long acting beta agonist like a salmeterol an inhaled steroid, okay, as well. And then if that did not work, oral steroids. But when we're talking about an acute asthma attack, IV steroids are always the mainstay, okay? Short acting course of steroids is not gonna be, have a lot of long-term consequences, not more long-term than you not being able to breathe, okay? Y'all, people do this kind of stuff all the time. They're like huffing and puffing, I mean, I wish that y'all can be flies on the wall sometimes when I go to the ER or go to the ICU because I walk in there and they're like, oh my God, Dr. Plenty, she's refusing. What do we do, right? And the alternative to getting treated for asthma with IV steroids is that none of the other stuff is going to work because you're in an acute attack. Your airway will close and that's going to force them to have to intubate you. So then you'll be on a breathing machine and likely have to get steroids anyway, okay? So let's be smart about this. There is no other option for an acute asthma attack right now than to give IV steroids. I mean, people be like, I can't can't breathe, but I don't want to take anything that's going to hurt my baby. Let me tell you, not breathing will hurt your baby, okay? You have got to be able to breathe for your baby to survive, okay? And I think that some people don't understand that concept. Like whatever happens to the mom really does impact the child, okay? The unborn baby. Because if you are not getting oxygen, then for sure your uterus and your placenta are not getting oxygen, which is why when we have to monitor a baby continuously with a mom that has an asthma attack or COVID infection or severe flu with respiratory compromise or trouble breathing, the tracing looks like trash. Okay. The baby has all these heartbeats on the monitor. I mean, it looks bad. And I have to say, as the high-risk specialist, tell the OBGYN to remind them because it's hard for them to watch that. Do not deliver that baby. Let the mom's oxygen status improve and the baby's oxygen status will improve. So the faster we get the mom's oxygen status improved, the faster the baby's improved. Because we definitely don't want to deliver somebody that's only 26 weeks, okay? Survivability at 26 weeks can be low. And we don't want to do that. If we can treat you and get you out of this asthma attack quickly before, you know, really bad signs start, we start seeing on the tracing of the baby. And when I say tracing, I mean, We monitor the heart rate of babies that are viable, meaning over 23 weeks. We monitor the tracing continuously to make sure the baby's heart rate is somewhere between 120 and 160. Now, there are some babies that run a little low at 110, and that's still not abnormal. But an average 120 to 160 beats per minute is where a baby's heart rate should be, an unborn baby's heart rate should be. So we monitor that continuously to make sure the baby's oxygen status is okay. But we do start to see irregularities with people that are not breathing right. So the faster we can get you out of the asthma attack, the faster we can get the baby to recover. There is no other choice for the acute attack. Yes, long-acting bronchodilator. Yes, an inhaled steroid. 
But for an acute attack, which is the case pearl, did always warrant IV steroids during pregnancy. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? So this is an email question. It says, hey, Dr. Pliny, I love listening to the podcast. I'm 24 years old and have no medical problems besides asthma. I've taken Advair and prednisone now for the past year and haven't had an asthma attack since starting this regimen. I'm 16 weeks pregnant. My OBGYN referred me for a high-risk ultrasound, but I don't understand why if my asthma is controlled. Could you please let me know if this is necessary? People get nervous when they refer to a high-risk specialist, right? Because they're like, how am I high risk? The quicker you come to realize that it's better for somebody to put, put you on high alert than not, the, the more at peace you will be, okay? So let me break it down for you. Let's say you're high risk, but you're not labeled as high risk and you never see a high risk specialist. Then something happens, something that could have been prevented if you had seen a high risk specialist. Then everybody's going to be looking like, why didn't you see the high risk specialist? Okay. So it's much better for you to not be high risk and see a high risk specialist and have the high risk specialist say you're not high risk than for somebody to make assumptions and you be high risk and not send you to the high risk specialist. So anybody that has a medical condition that is pre-existing before pregnancy, anybody that is older than 35 with a single baby in pregnancy or older than 32 with twins considered high risk. Okay. So let's make sure you understand that. So the fact that you have asthma makes you high risk because you can have oxygen compromise. People compensate. So I have asthmatics that come in wheezing and I can hear them wheezing. I'm like, are you okay? You short of breath? Oh, I'm fine. This is how I am at baseline. That is not normal. Okay. You should not be wheezing at baseline, but you're so used to that. That doesn't bother you. So that's why you're seen by a high risk specialist. Even if your asthma is controlled, one, we have to make sure it is really controlled. Two, you're on steroids. So we know that although steroids uh, don't have a huge complication risk, we do know that some steroids do put babies at slightly increased risk of heart defects and cleft lip cleft palate. Now, prednisone, low dose, there are studies that show that it does not cross the placenta. So we know that that is not one of the drugs that we would be on super high alert for. But since you're on chronic steroids, we do know that one, asthmatics, either they're controlled or not, can have smaller babies. So you need growth scans every month once you're over the 20th week. Two, if you're on steroids, then you may need, depending on the dose, stress dose steroids at the time of delivery. What's that? Well, that's a dose of steroids to make sure that the stress of labor doesn't cause your adrenal gland to go crazy and you have an adrenal crisis which makes your blood pressure all out of whack, right? And puts you at risk for things like heart attacks and palpitations and things like that, okay? That's why you see a, heart, uh, a high risk specialist so we can plan out your pregnancy and make a list of things to remind your OBGYN to do because your OBGYNs are excellent providers. But sometimes the little bitty high risk details, they may not remember to do. So it's always better to have a couple of people looking at you if you have a medical condition than just relying on one that's doing low risk care, okay? 
Now, a high-risk specialist does not negate your pulmonologist, okay? So your pulmonologist is still your lung doctor. Sometimes as a high-risk specialist, I will work with a pulmonologist to say, this is a, a drug that's safer in pregnancy as an alternative than this other drug you're recommending, okay? Or, hey, let's remember that the lung sort of changes in pregnancy, so let me throw out some reminders for you to make sure you understand that the oxygen status in pregnancy versus outside of pregnancy, meaning the amount of carbon dioxide to oxygen and the the acid base uh, balance that you have in pregnancy is different than it is outside of pregnancy. So that's why you have a high risk specialist looking at you in addition to your pulmonologist, in addition to your OBGYN. But yes, because some of those medicines can put you at a increased risk of having a small baby and a baby with a slightly increased risk of some defects, you do need a detailed scan done at 18 to 20 weeks gestation. Now, after that, your maternal fetal medicine specialist or your high-risk specialist may recommend that you have all your growth scans done with your OBGYN. That's fine as long as your anatomy scan or the scan that looks at your baby from head to toe to make sure there's nothing structural going on. As long as that's normal, then your growth scans may be able to be done with your OBGYN. And that's something you can ask during your consultation. And you would not need to see a high-risk specialist again unless you have other complications that arise, like having a smaller baby. But the short answer is, yes, it is necessary. Yes, we want to make sure you're safe during this pregnancy. And no, it doesn't mean that you have to continue to see high-risk OBGYN or, or maternal fetal medicine specialist or that you need to switch care, okay? It's just another person to make sure that your plan of care is outlined very carefully for the pregnancy. All right, medical interns, do we have any other email cases or questions? Yes, this one says, Dr. Plenty, I was told that my asthma puts me at a higher risk for having a severe case of COVID-19 if I end up getting it. I've been working from home, but am now 14 weeks pregnant, and my job is now starting to require weekly in-person meetings. Is it true that I'm at higher risk for severe COVID-19 infections due to asthma or just due to pregnancy? And is the vaccine safe to take this early in pregnancy? The short answer is yes, you are at high risk for having a severe case of COVID-19 if you end up getting it. And that's because one, any infection of the lung can trigger asthma. Why? Because asthma causes inflammation. Infection is inflammation. So we know that you have asthma, which means that you can be triggered to have inflammation so bad that it causes constriction of your airway, okay, and buildup of mucus and all those things. So if you get COVID-19 and you get COVID-19 pneumonia, that's like, you know, turbo asthma attack, okay? So you definitely have an increased risk of having severe disease. One, asthma, because you already have inflammation. We know you have underlying airway disease and underlying damage to your airway. Then you add inflammation from an, an infection on top of your asthma attack. Well, yeah, you can see easily how you can end up having issues. So the best thing for you to do is to get vaccinated, especially now that you're exposed to the outside. And for a lot of people, outside is opening back up with no restrictions, y'all. You don't have to wear a mask anywhere. You don't have to, to socially distance anywhere. You just in there with air circulating, people coughing, talking about they having allergies because it's the fall now. You don't know what people got. So one, I always tell my pregnant patients, 
if you're going to be in the public, I would still wear a mask, y'all. Unless you can literally be away from somebody, I would still wear a mask. And um, I would definitely get vaccinated. Is it safe for you to get vaccinated this early? Oh, yeah, it is. It's, it's very safe. We'd rather you get vaccinated now than to try to wait until after the baby's born. Why? Because one, we don't want you getting COVID during your wait, okay? We don't want you getting COVID. Two, if you get COVID, obviously, like I said before, you can have severe disease. And three, you getting the vaccine during pregnancy can give the baby some natural antibodies. So once the baby is born, the baby can get the antibodies through the breast milk and whatever across the placenta. And if it's faced with COVID from somebody, some relative coming to visit, the baby is less likely to get severe COVID-19 disease as well. So you're doing it twofold. You're doing it for yourself and you're also doing it to help boost your already lacking baby's immune system so that your baby can not have severe COVID-19 infection. Now we know that nowadays the COVID vaccine is not 100%. It's just stopping you from being hospitalized in ICU. Which is which means that it's going to stop you from dying. Okay, so that's the end result. We don't want you to die from COVID. Okay, because COVID is so rampant now um, that it's not even about preventing you from getting it anymore. It's preventing severe disease. So we want to make sure you get some antibodies, your baby gets antibodies, and I would encourage you to breastfeed as well to continue to give your baby those antibodies through the breast milk. Now, usually I would not encourage people to get the vaccine in the first trimester. Now, it's not contraindicated in the first trimester, but I've always told people, you know, wait to the end of the first trimester. You know, organs are starting to develop at five to six weeks. Wait until, you know, 10, 12 weeks to get uh, vaccinated, um, you know, the late first trimester. But you're already 14 weeks. So there's really no reason that you should be waiting to get this vaccine. All the organs are already developed. We can't see them as well yet, but they're already there. So whatever has happened has already formed. It's already happened. It's not going to be the vaccine at 14 weeks causing anything bad to happen. People think that, but I'm like, once the first trimester has happened, you're done with organs. The only thing that's happened is, is maturation and development of the brain. And we know that we have not seen any cognitive delays caused due to the COVID-19 vaccine in childhood. So yes, I would encourage you to get uh, vaccinated. Now it is safe to do during pregnancy. And yes, because you are at higher risk, especially if you have to go in for those weekly uh, in-person meetings. Now, if you're like, I just don't want to be vaccinated, then ask your boss, hey, is there a way that I can do this remotely because I don't want to expose myself? Um, but at some point, you're going to have to go outside. And anytime you go outside, you are going to be susceptible to getting COVID. And now the flu uh, season is rolling around. So I would encourage you to get a flu vaccine too. In the pregnancy, I would encourage you to get a flu vaccine. So because eventually you're going to have to go outside. Okay, so can't be inside forever. And I would encourage you, get some fresh air, go outside, but just take precautions and go ahead and get vaccinated. All right, medical intern, I think that that's all of our questions. And she's shaking her head, yes. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope that you learned a little bit more about asthma and pregnancy today. And I hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you liked it, make sure to rate, comment, and share with your friends. Now, if you didn't like it, you don't have to do any of those. <laughs> you don't have to do any of those things. All right. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. 
Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at Pregnancy underscore Pearls and Facebook at Pregnancy Pearls. You can also catch up on some of my videos at YouTube.com forward slash Pregnancy Pearls with Dr. Quinny for quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.